Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listener. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Chris Prunty and Daniel Quinn. Gentlemen, good to have you on today. In today's episode, we are finishing the Dawn of a Thousand Mechs, our mecha setting. Even though we don't call them mechs in this setting, we're, like I said last episode, we're creatively bankrupt. So we're, we're just <laughs> going to go with the easy title. In this episode, we are going over our plot hooks for our setting, where we introduce an interesting scenario or interesting twist on the setting that we'd like to see and the type of story that goes with it. So gentlemen, who wants to start? I was going to take a page out of Daniel's book and uh, really destroy the fact that playing by the rules, I was going to have my space Luddites. So I wanted a group of them and for the story to take place around them where they're effectively being Cosmikaze-like pilots, where they're doing these horrible missions in the hopes that they die before they lose their humanity. Their mission is kind of uh, like a Suicide Squad-like thing, where you would put them into the most dangerous possible situations with no intent to get back, but if they do, uh, then they just go on another mission. Uh, So you could put this into situations where they're up against many more mechs than they should be, but the fact that they don't care about how far they push their mech and how far they push themselves is what sells it. So uh, a lot of the ideas that I came up from it were kind of like uh, the desperate last stand or a diversionary tactic where they would hit a base that they have no help uh, hope of destroying, but it would cause forces to be focused there while their main force attacks somewhere else. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be so, like, they would be very frightening figures, I think, um, from the perspective of other, like, riders um, or relic, you know, uh, uh, pilots, because once they realize, oh, man, this is one of those, like, um, plowshares types, we're in real trouble, because they might just, like, run into our base and, like, overload their core and just blow us all up. Yeah, I mean, these things are basically giant walking nuclear reactors, so that thought alone is pretty terrifying. You know, except it's obviously not, you know, nuclear, but, you know, world destroying power in the hands of zealots is pretty terrifying. It's pretty bad. Yeah, for sure. I also like the idea that what happens if they're just mission after mission successful and they're like, um, I've been in this thing for a while. Uh, I, I don't really like where this is going, but I gotta keep doing it for my people. They might have a realization because if you think about it, like the more they're in the relic, whether or not they don't believe in its power, like it's going to influence them. So maybe what happens is within that sub faction you made another faction forms of those who have now turned against the original cult, you know. I do like that idea, actually, because now you have character um, character hooks where you're a renegade, you know, like you are a relic pilot. But you're actually renegade from the straight edge Luddites mm-hmm. where, you know, you, you, the further you did this, the further you realize that these people are very much in the wrong, or maybe that, you know, maybe sitting in the pilot seat kind of makes them realize just how wrong they are. Or maybe there are some kind of whispers from the relic itself. You know, we, we kind of established that these things are basically God hearts. Mm-hmm. Maybe the gods are speaking to them and they're kind of whispering like, Hey, this is, this is not what you've been told. And so there, because we don't really know the religion of these straight edge Luddites, right? So maybe it's, 
there's some kind of hypocrisy going on because that's always fun to play around with, right? Yeah. And there's also the hint that the that they're forming, they're reforming the um, what do we call it, the apotheosis. So maybe there are whispers from their sun god too. You know mm-hmm, <laughs> that that mm-hmm. so it's a struggle between the gods that they've now hijacked and their own that they're creating unwittingly. I do like the idea of them being the first cultists of the apotheosis. Yeah. You know, like that kind of fun little time cycle, essentially. Mm. It's it, it actually makes sense because from that, you could see, like, the cycle starting over again, like, time and time again. Like, and that was a theme when we started with, you know, the old uh, Land of a Thousand Gods. So that's really fun. Crisis of Faith is always a good uh, story, too. Or what happens when mm-hmm. someone who's dedicated their life and had planned to die for it loses faith? Oh, yeah. I mean, does stripping away your humanity mean, you know, like, the inability to have faith? You know, what does that mean? Is that part of humanity? Or is that something that the synths have as well? You know, like, that's kind of an interesting philosophical take. And that's actually a really, now that I think about it, that's a pretty cool point to kind of bring up in general. I also, I also like that you can focus on, um, you know, a handful of individual characters. So you can focus on just, like, the small... Uh, radical wing they send out to do these missions that are like no return sort of missions and then you can just follow their development you know if this was a story or even like if it were a game um, as they start to make realizations whether some of them maybe become more entrenched in their beliefs and then some of them um, you know realize that they don't have grounding and they go kind of against each other within their own group um, and that becomes the conflict or maybe we can even have a religious civil war or a schism as it were i think one that I was thinking about is similar to Chris's and that it focuses on individuals rather than, you know, larger scale, um, you know, conflicts between factions. Um, in, in this sort of setting, you have a really good chance to work with like military sci-fi, which is a huge genre unto itself. Um, and usually the, the writers of it uh, have some kind of, military background or understanding of of war and tactics um which obviously we don't but thinking for myself at least but i think one of the key things that in military sci-fi they're trying to get across is disillusionment with war and that the things that we glorify especially in fantasy about war are some are things not to be glorified so particularly i'm thinking of the classic like the forever war um which you know inspired by the vietnam war take some really crazy turns in that story in terms of where he goes with it. But at the end of the day, it's about one soldier and what happens when they kind of get used as a tool. So I was thinking, you know, we had this nationalist right wing sort of group that's seizing power within earth's inner sphere. And they're, they're kind of using other people. They're using the Luddites and they're using um, the factions we established that are out kind of on the fringe uh, through, as proxy as, as for their proxy wars. So maybe, you know, you could tell a story where you have one soldier who's a nobody starting in the inner spheres, kind of as part of their, their, as a foot soldier there. And he gets, and we, I know that we established like that the relics, they're like outlawed, so they're not meant to be used, but maybe he gets shuffled around from one front to the other until finally he's actually pushed, he or she is pushed all the way out to the fringe. And then he gets caught up with like having to, be on a black ops mission where he adopts a relic when he's when they're technically not supposed to and he starts getting caught up you know in, in all of the political maneuvering there realizing at the end that he's just like a guy who doesn't really have a destiny as far as 
his faction is concerned. And then he, now he has to make a choice. Like, you know, do I side with these people out here? Do I side with the government that sent me out here? Or do I do my own thing? Um, because at the end of the day, like he has to have his own life and everyone is arrayed against him. That's an insanely deep personal journey. And I'm, I'm totally with it. I mean, originally I was thinking of having it be someone within the Luddite faction, but I like that Chris had that one because that's what I was thinking. Like, I would love to follow like the crisis of faith, but I think what Chris laid out makes it's more sense. It makes more sense in that they were part of like this kind of almost uh, kamikaze cult. Whereas the Intersphere one, they've got, you know, they've got rules to follow and they come from a particular kind of um, structured military background that has, you know, duty and honor bound to it. Would you ask the question? Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. I think that when you're talking about, you know, a disillusionment with ideology, I think, especially when it comes to far right ideology, I think there's a real, for me anyway, there's a real fascination with what happens when the people who are spouting, you know, kind of the lingo and the talk when they actually see their ideology come into practice, right? Like, especially when it comes to neo-Nazis and like race realists, quote unquote, when you talk about people who are, you know, like, oh, well, we just want our own separate nation and they don't actually anticipate the violence that that would actually require, what it means when they see that violence actually take place. I think seeing that, and especially when it comes to like a, a crisis of faith type thing, I think that journey would be really fascinating to, to read about or see mm -hmm. from a character development standpoint. Well, I was trying to take it in. Like that is a really... Uh alienated concept like to see something that you believe in get corrupted or to see the truth of it rather than the fantasy like i've always loved the uh details of like world war one of where you hear about someone going off to war and they're talking about how noble it is and how good it is for their country and then they get there and they're splattered in mud dirt and blood and they are just terrified and the ugliness of war comes to realization on them. Uh, I, I know that's not exactly what you were talking. You were talking more about of a fascist regime coming to control, but I like the disillusionment uh, aspect of it. Yeah, it, exactly. And that that's, I mean, fascist regime or just like re coming to terms of reality of what your ideology actually looks like or what your beliefs actually are is is more appropriate thematically so either way it works you know it doesn't necessarily even have to be you know that far-right extremist just to see you know what war actually does especially in this type of you know the ugliness uh, yeah exactly and it, i think that's a really fascinating aspect of it well i mean to, to to repeat what you were saying rob is like it doesn't really matter what the ideology is, right? It's like when you see it executed and what it requires to achieve like that ideology outside of the abstract, that's when you suddenly realize, okay, do I actually believe this? Like, am I willing to go the final step to execute this? Or am I just another instrument of someone else's abstraction, right? So this guy, right. he's a tool of this ideology and every ideology we've set up in the setting, they all have tools. Like we've got the the... The, the leaders of the Luddites and the leaders of the kind of far-right faction we set up inside of the inner sphere, they both believe in something that maybe their followers don't necessarily understand fully. And the same thing is true of the factions out in the fringe, you know, or even the Mondo Corporation for what little we know about them, mm -hmm. right? So like, it, we're all just like instruments of their will. And so the cool stories arise when those instruments decide we have our own will and now we're doing our own thing, you know? 
especially when that comes into conflict with who you self-identify as, right? Like mm -hmm. when you identify as someone who is either a patriot or a nationalist or, you know, a leftist or, or what have you, and then your ideology is challenged based solely on experience that like shakes you to your core. And I, I like the types of themes that we're kind of exploring here, Daniel. So that's a really, I wouldn't say it's fun, but man, that's a really interesting way to kind of approach the right. setting. Yeah. So I'm going to veer us and just go completely left with it because we, we got real heavy with that one. My first plot hook is actually just real simple. And I want to have essentially kaiju battles in space with the relics. I, I feel like if we're going to be doing you know, the deep, serious stuff, then of course there's going to be somewhere on the fringe where where there's going to be relic pilots who are just punching the shit out of giant Cthuloid monsters, saving the universe, you know, like galaxy by galaxy. And that's totally fine. If there's some equivalent of the Zerg or Tyranid, which are basically, or yeah, which are the progenitor for the Zerg, basically, you know, like that's totally fine. You know, like maybe... That, that's what you want to do. Maybe you want to have giant robots fight giant space monsters. I, I'm cowboying that shit up. Like, absolutely, let's do it. You know, like, why not? Like, we don't have to take everything in this setting so goddamn seriously. I would prefer to do it that way. I think that's what's really interesting about mecha settings. But at the same time, there's, I mean, giant robots fighting giant monsters is just fucking cool man like, you've got to have it i mean like why would you make yeah. giant robots if they're not going to fight giant monsters at some point like why why bother uh, right or or at the <laughs> very least other giant robots yes. which is also acceptable exactly yeah, yeah. My, mine's a real quick and simple one do, what else do we want to do to kind of make that concept a little bit more interesting and perhaps setting specific I, I did have so I had it one of mine was similar to that, which thankfully I made more than three, so I'm good. But if if I were to tack on some stuff to that, um I was thinking and this is a movie that's hotly debated, at least in the Alien franchise, but the Prometheus movie I actually really liked, um, because it had this almost like Lovecraftian feel to it. Um, an intellectual Lovecraftian feel. So I thought, well, we do have we do have those those quantum filaments, right? And you said fighting aliens across the galaxy. Like that's those, those jump missions they go on to explore those unknown fronts, you know, it's possible they might make a jump mission and realize, oh boy, this world's full of horrifying monsters. And that's where you get to have those kind of fun, you know, adventure style, you know, fights with the, with the robots. And because it veers into horror almost when you do that. Yeah. That's actually what I wanted to kind of work with is like, okay, we have these massive machines that are incredibly powerful. What can possibly challenge these giant death machine robots you know like that's maybe we should talk about the kaiju a little bit more and what makes them different and interesting also uh we were saying that the, most of humanity was separated from each other after a incident that kind of made space big again uh before people discovered the quantum filaments and everything i like this is a reason why even small areas would have these relics because it was always a danger of these monsters from outer space Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're like alien wildlife. We don't know what's out in space. It could be all kinds of crazy stuff, even in the short term, like in the short term in terms of like distance. You know, maybe and there's creatures that are dangerous just in our own inner sphere that we know about, but then outside the galaxy, they're even crazier. 
one thing that we can also play with is since no one really knows like where the relics come from, they're so old that people have forgotten them. They've essentially be been repurposed in more modern times to fight each other and fight wars. But maybe you oh. could have some of the weapons that are on there are really good at fighting uh, these space kaiju. Mm -hmm. I like that. I mean, maybe what? like the classic thing is that these these a lot of the ones in the inner sphere are very regenerative, and so that's why they're far more fearsome. You know. Yeah, one thing I wanted to kind of touch on is. I don't necessarily want these giant monsters to just be dumb animals. Like I want them to have some level of intelligence where they're, they can have decision-making processes or they have some level of self-awareness at the very least, because I don't want it to be just, you know, space whaling, but in giant <laughs> robot suits, right? Like I, I don't want it to be, Oh, this is kind of gross because they're big game hunters, you know, like uh -huh. hunting down prey. I want it to be, there is a malevolence to these giant space aliens because I think, again, it's more fun when you're not just punching a zebra in the face with a mech, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's what I want to try and avoid anyway. Well, well maybe treat them like uh, another faction in the sense that they have an intent, like maybe that maybe they naturally inhabited the space that we're breaking into. Um, I would want to avoid though, the uh, concept of setting them up as a hive mind. Cause I feel like that's so overdone. So maybe, yeah, that's very played out. I, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Like maybe there's some other animal we can model it after, but if you think about it, like as humans, we're just encroaching on land that the natural world already quote unquote owned, you know, so that could be true of space. Hmm. Instead of hive mind. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that nothing like a gestalt consciousness would be good, but mm -hmm. uh, maybe still a collective in not the sense of like mandatory but more of maybe they started out as a hive mind and got individualism i mean what are we afraid of in the contemporary world right now like i feel like the hive mind stuff was usually a reaction to fears of like communism and um, yeah like collectivism so like what what are we afraid of today you know and can we turn that into a monster globalism Right. Well, okay, so capitalism is one, right? Ca capitalism. Uh, a lot of people do find globalism to be scary. I find it to be inevitable. Mm -hmm. um, plagues are obviously a big one right now. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, um, I, I think, I think that there is something to be said. Like there is kind of oh, actually global disaster. Like some kind of a climate mm -hmm. shift is also a big one as well. Oh, climate change. Yeah. Yeah. Can we can we make this some kind of um allegory like a physical manifestation of climate change is that something that I we mean. can possibly do yeah i think that's smart and and if it has so if it's climate change it would be like on a galactic level like i'm thinking okay i'm going to mention voyager forgive me but sometimes it has good ideas <laughs> but you remember in voyager the omega particle voyager. <laughs> do you remember the omega particle that the borg were after and basically it could permanently damage space travel like yes. something apocalyptic like that would be cool if the aliens had that yeah, I like that idea a lot. Like, it, it can kind of fuck with the astral strings, maybe? Like, yeah. maybe that's part of it? <gasps> maybe they're an infection of the astral strings. Okay, 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 okay. I can, I can okay, how are we going to do that, From the though? beginning of the universe. Because remember, the astral strings are cracks in the universe that formed during the Big Bang, potentially. Or they might also be, like, rips in the in the universe. Right, like right. With the fracture. 
going back so maybe to they're the, from the oh, beginning of the universe sorry going back to the fear of plagues what if we look at it as uh humanity is an infection and the universe is a body and this is just antibodies and different um, an autoimmune response of the universe i like that if we're so we're now looking at space like it's one giant organism and these things are essentially just trying to wipe out what they convey as a as a disease yeah, and they want... do that through actually that kind of fits in because if yeah. you want to see space as an organism then these you know these aeons of of ether essentially they are rewarping the space or, or the galaxy or the the actual physical plane of existence back to what it thinks it should be yeah. after humanity has kind of, oh actually can we make that a consequence of the ability to uh use the strands like maybe humanity's manipulation of those astral strands is what got the attention of these things in the first yeah, place it awakened them yeah yeah maybe they view they probably view um consciousness and life as a form of um aberration like it's so rare because it's not supposed to happen so they're response oh. is that is to eliminate it and it's not like they're doing it maliciously it's because they're just that's what they're designed to do that's actually horrifying because now their idea their ideal for the universe is a dead and empty and quiet universe right which is like a chilling because it all ends in nihilism in in it. our perspective anyway <laughs> beautiful Ooh, yeah okay that's cool and and so let's let's kind of give a little bit of a happy go lucky <laughs> no no because now we get to punch those things in the fucking in face, face. Maybe, yeah. they probably, they're probably like ethereal in some sense they must take on forms like by by taking material from whatever setting they're in you know uh i disagree with that i just want to have them like be giant bone monsters or like giant <laughs> bone monsters yeah yeah, I mean, if they're if they're representative of entropy and death, then why not just have them be like giant skeleton monsters? But not we, not as simple and as dumb as that. Yeah. But like, have them have cool designs that just incorporate a lot of carapace and you know, mm -hmm. kind of chitin and stuff like that. Just a giant cone that eats things with energy, like in Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> like the crystalline entity. Yeah. Sorry, you're trying to shoot your forty third photon torpedo, and I'm pretty sure you said you only had forty two. <laughs> I'm like 90% sure. They learned how to manufacture some. <laughs> well, I mean, think, if you think about it, like, so if they're like some element of the astral strand, their astralness could inhabit these, um, these, these structures. So say you go to a world that's like, a, it's a world that has a remnant of a previous civilization. Like they could like beam themselves into it, take a bunch of those corpses or I don't know, fragments of that civilization and form into these horrific monsters that are unique to that world. And you've got to not only break the monsters, but also like dissipate the astral force too, in order to really destroy them. I like that. All right, cool. Uh, one thing I, I just think that it, this imagery kind of popped out to me when I was thinking about this idea, but humanity's use of the astral strand is like them, like flicking part of the spider web. It's like getting the spider's attention. That's essentially what we're doing, you know, in the grand scheme of things. I love going on uh, the trend of trying to be happy. Uh, the one that I have is a little bit happy go lucky. I don't recall how big the Mondo Corporation was, but I see it as spanning through a bunch of different sectors and having like branch offices in almost any major uh, planet. The idea that I had was 
an internal power structure that was caused also by relics. And the way that it has is imagine district managers or regional managers of this area have a relic fighting ring. And that is how they battle out deals, how they uh, come to conclusions or how they fight for supremacy. Because if you have the best fighting robot, you technically have the best tactics, the best ideas and the most monetary power behind you. So robot jocks. Yeah. Robot jocks. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with robot jocks, (laughs) except can I make a suggestion? Can Mm -hmm. I make, can, instead of it being a one-on-one thing, can we have it be either tag teams or like small teams battle? Like maybe like a two or three or four person squad time you know versus the other one yeah i could i could see that like uh once again going back to the fact that it could be not just regional imagine if it was like north versus west but sometimes it's also power struggles within that uh area itself but when they all come together they're like hey we got to represent the east faction of mondo corp so let's go take those west side bastards yeah. yeah, and it's all within the Mondo Corp. Is what you're saying, which I think is hilarious. I, I like to believe yeah. that the general populace doesn't even know that this is going yeah. on because they would see it as a gross misuse of both the relics and also <laughs> uh, the amount of power behind it. Uh, and since Mondo Corporation, we set up as they have some of the best parts. This is also mm-hmm. how they go about getting parts from the battles and testing, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, like it just like, oh, ho, uh, my corporation has recently gotten this plasma lance. Let's see you beat that. You could tell some really fun stories. Yes, because now you have like a high school sports anime. Oh, oh <laughs> wait a minute. That, but also, is this how the training is done for the Mundo Corporation? Like training how to use the relics is all done through like kind of this corporate, you know, like squad battling. Oh, that's, yeah. I like to believe that it's not to the death unless it's a very important, like, match or if it's an accident, which might also, uh, if you want the political intrigue, maybe, oh, no, we accidentally hit the hit them right in the cockpit. How sad that your star Oops. player died. Yes, and, and I think that we should use this as a conceit to, like, show that, or, or like, convey that the mondo corporation has pound for pound the best mech pilots you know or at least those who are associated with the mondo corporation are like oh those are mondo corp guys those are the badasses and it's because they have these like you know like sports you know marathon or these these sports competitions of mech piloting yeah he's fought That's- over 400 battles whereas other people have maybe fought 10 and been considered an ace yeah it's, it's a, yeah it's a great intelligence gathering maneuver on the part of the synthetics who really control the mono corporation too mm. because they're all not only assessing the strength of their own corporation but i bet they get challengers too potentially outside who now they can test against i'm assuming freelancers would also come in where they're like hey yeah. you want a uh, position in my company uh it's mech pilot wait you guys have mech pilots y- yeah Officially, no, but unofficially, (laughs) yes. The law requires me to say no. Yes. (laughs) So now you're going to sign this NDA, and now I'm going to show you the mech that you're going to pilot. (laughs) Oh, man, yes, I love the idea of an NDA. It's like you can't, we disavow any knowledge you have of being a relic pilot whatsoever. 
And That's you can go amazing. there, like, if you're dishonored, say you're dishonored from a faction, or you're, like, you know, an outcast of some sort from your group, you could join the Mondo Corporation and get back into action. You know, there's consequences at a price, but at least you're back in action. I Yeah. I also like the idea that at some point, the space Luddites are going to find out about this underground arena and are just going to be like, what? The, everything we said was true. Everything. We, look at this. This is ridiculous. This is an abomination to our sun god. And the Mondos are like, hey, you can join in the fight if you want. <laughs> yeah, but but that that would be super unfair because the the straight edge luddites use swarm tactics so it's exactly. not going to be nearly as effective it's like it's a 4v4 and the fucking straight edge luddites are in like wait, wait 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 yeah the luddites that pilot the relics purposely make a front comp uh company so that they can enlist and all they seem to do is have accidental deaths on the other side oh my god that's brilliant that's no, no, no. Yep. That's yep. okay. Th- yep. That's like an, an anime, anime villain. That's an, yeah, exactly. That's an anime villain for sure. They're fake OSHA. They like pretend to be like have, have OSHA, ac- OSHA accidents, basically. It's, it's, um, oh, you've seen Hajime no Ippo, right? Yes. What's that guy who intentionally just like fucks people up in the ring? Like just because he, he's like, I want to cause bloodshed and like he's he's that guy. What's was his it the name? guy with the flicker jabs? I think so. Yeah, he he was like a yakuza or something and and he was just like I just want to hurt people. I don't want to win. That's why I'm going to keep on elbowing you in the damn fist. Yeah, and, and like he was the one who was like eating raw meat or some shit like that. Too. Yes. Was that him? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Yes. Okay, I'm glad I'm glad we're on the same page here. <laughs> Oh man! I, I, so by the way, I would just like to point out just how how we went hard right with like very serious topics in the beginning, and now we're like fucking sports anime punching fucking monsters in the face. And like, yeah, this is I appreciate I'm appre- I appreciate that our setting can have both. It has the capacity for both things because I think that's really important. I would like someone to play characters in the jock anime. Uh, arena and then go to the serious war front and be like, I don't know what's going on, guys. That's the same anime. That oh, is God. the same. You watch the journey the, the, the journey that Daniel was talking about starts out <laughs> as sports anime jock goes into complete disillusionment with the entire system. That is the plot that we've now created through our fucking plot hooks. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, I'm going to, I'm actually going to go next because I have one that doesn't have anything to do with relics at all. Kind of. I want to, you know, picture it, shall we say, let's picture that you are a bounty hunter, but a, a cooler title than bounty hunter because you're hunting relic pilots and has you you catch them when they're outside of their relic you catch them in the streets you have to find out who they are you have to you have to you know make sure that they're relic pilots at all and then it is your job to catch them and bring them to justice and the way that you can do this sets you up as either the good guy or the bad guy with our setting because realistically you can be the good guy taking down the relic pilots who've lost all their humanity 
and now they're just kind of mindless death machines. Or you can be in, you know, in, in kind of keeping in theme with the political aspect, you can just be headhunting for political opponents, or you can be headhunting for dissidents, so to speak. There are so many different directions that you can take with this. And I just love the idea of living in the giant cities and it's a noir story. It is not a, you know, rocket punching a fucking monster in the face, though I do love that. It's more like I have a fucking revolver. It's it's a space revolver. Don't get me wrong, but it's a revolver. And I need to bust down this door of a drug den to find my relic pilot who's doing the relic, you know, who's doing the drugs to keep them in the suit. That type of thing. I want that grit and I want the noir. That's what I want. It's basically Blade Runner, but that's kind of what I want. It's it's basically like it's it's what the Mandalorian does for Star Wars now. It gets it's instead of dealing with all the Jedi nonsense, it focuses on the not that, the cool uh Western part of it, which I think is great. Like instead of focusing on the giant mechs, we're focusing on the guy who has to do the dirty work, you know, to get them out of commission. Daniel one thousand percent yes <laughs> absolutely right because I would watch the hell out of that yeah right like how fucking cool would that, and like maybe it's like i'm picturing in the background there are you know relic fights happening and maybe it's in the literal background as this guy is trying to <laughs> take down his around. target yeah yeah He's like actually taking down a third target as two relics fight in the background in the city or something. He's just like waiting that. till the guy finishes the battle. He's exhausted. He beat the other relic. He gets out of his relic. He goes to the bar, sits down at the bar, orders a drink, and then the bounty hunter sits down next to him and he says, I gotta take you in. Yeah. There's so many great scenarios that you can have with that. Like, you know, oh man, that's so cool. I'm so fucking <laughs> down. Like, I was already excited about the setting. I'm now double excited about this setting now. Oh my god. Also, we can all agree that the Mandalorian is the only good thing to come out of Disney Star Wars, right? Yes. Hands down. Wait, okay. d- does Clone Wars count? The TV show? I know no, that came first. That okay. came first. Yeah. yeah. And that's not Disney though, right? Yeah. Well, technically, Star Wars is now under the Disney umbrella, so everything Star Wars is now technically Disney. Was I mean, was Clone Wars Disney stuff too? No, no, because it was, it was they originally, do own it, but it was not theirs. Oh, okay. Yeah, it started out separately and then became Disney. Yeah, and then I think they actually commissioned another season. They did. It's good. The, I, I haven't seen it, but yeah. I, I assume it's good. But yeah, absolutely, it's the only good thing Disney has made for Star Wars. And it's so good. Oh my god, is it so good. Brilliant. good things if you so haven't seen far. The Mandalorian, go get yourself a free Disney Plus 14-day trial and just binge it, because it's really worth your time. Hmm. It, I imagine that it's kind of like it will increase subscriptions when the second season comes out, much like, you know, like the Game of Thrones does to HBO subscriptions. Whenever there's a new season, it kind of spiked the subs for a little bit. Yeah. Until that last one, but you know, can't really. We do not talk. Yeah. Also, your bounty hunter is a great talk, a prime um, employee for the Mondo Corporation and for the synthetics. I imagine that there's a whole substrata, so to speak, mm-hmm. of bounty hunters. You know, like it's yeah. not just one person. It's like you can really follow a bunch of them. Like they they would work for the um, the luddites, the the plowshares dudes. They'd work for the inner sphere. Everyone. 
Oh, oh I man. I can see more yeah. of them even being the Luddites because they take a passion in it. Exactly. Yeah. And and then you get the reputation of being the the one bounty hunter who doesn't take pilots in alive because, you know, it's oh, against man. your religion. All <laughs> sorts of cool stuff. All sorts I want to cool play that game. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I mean... Actually, I was gonna I was gonna bully you into running it, but I would run that game. I would <laughs> run definitely it, run, run it. That. That's so fucking cool, man. Okay, so this one is near and dear to my heart um, because I love revenge. So, um, <laughs> what I have in mind that is, is the weirdest segue I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> I love it's... revenge, and every one of my enemies will get theirs. So my idea is exactly. Yeah, I mean, you captured it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it ties in with the bounty hunter in a sense, except for the bounty hunter is driven by a sense of um, either monetary gain or he has duty, right? Like the, the Mandalorian is driven by duty more than he has money, um, although money is a factor, whereas like Boba Fett, at least in the movies, just wants money, right? So my, my um, the character, the principal person to be following in this concept is driven by revenge. So I'm picturing, I, I want to focus on the, again, in the individual character, on the gunslinger type. Perhaps this is a... Um, uh, relic pilot from the wolf faction so this is the one who used to be this faction used to be a military arm of one of the other factions broke off made its own independence and these are the ones that are on a lot of drugs basically that's their post-human ability but anyway like he's he's a lone wolf who used to belong to this faction something catastrophic happened to him that either he was wrongly accused um, or she you know lost someone close to them or she was dishonored um, and and there, this, this person is in some way um, broken, right? And so is their mech. So the, the story would follow them having to go out into the fringe, find the reliquary, repair the mech. It would, ha- it would follow a kind of like Klingon slash Worf story of regaining your honor and reamassing followers and people to, to be your troop again, even though, you know, people don't trust you anymore. Um, you don't have anything to lose, um, and so you want to get revenge on your target, but the twist would be once you get within reach of the thing you want, like the person you want to take down for doing this to you, you realize that the thing that was that you thought was lost to you, whether that's the person you thought you lost or the chance of redeeming yourself, is available, and you're like, crap. Now, do I make a choice of carrying out my revenge or do I restore myself, you know, figuratively? So I think that that the revenge quest is always about balancing, you know, the primal urge to destroy your enemy and also redeem yourself. So that's the choice that this character would have to make in the end. Have you ever seen, Daniel, the revenge trilogy? No. What is this? That it's uh, it's a series of Korean films. It's like. So they are Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, and Lady Vengeance. Mm -hmm. But I would also say I Saw the Devil is probably in there as well. It's basically the, this, it's a, a, it's Park Chan-wook. His entire, you know, like, oeuvre is revenge movies. And man, it's a good ass fucking series of movies you should watch. You've seen, you've at least seen Old Boy, right? I haven't seen Old Boy, but I know it's like classic what i haven't we gotta watch it daniel i just turned to look at you in the chair that you're not in because we're <laughs> recording remotely uh, i am so astounded that you have not uh, seen old I have boy not. i've heard about it a lot though if you love revenge you would love old I boy i mean my, my so my 
my knowledge of revenge comes from like um mostly personal like, experience well, well that but also like <laughs> like you know old british lit so like the uh, either you know shakespeare or like revenge tragedy spanish revenge tragedies which i just love mm-hmm. so they're mostly play form but like i would love to see a lot more revenge movies so i'm totally down for that i, I have a list for you man I, well okay old boy is definitely the best of the trilogy and then uh I saw the devil is also really good as well. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would I would recommend those two very very highly. They're they're All excellent right. and it basically it, it touches a lot. The reason I bring it up is because it touches so deeply on the themes that you're exploring here. Except the thesis of those movies is essentially uh, revenge is only destructive. There uh-huh. is no redemption in revenge. You know, yeah. it, and it is only corrupting and, and self destructive. Yeah, I mean, that's the choice, I think, that this character has to make in the end. Like, when they get the twist, when they realize that all is not actually lost, they have to choose between destroying themselves by carrying out the revenge or making a different choice. And maybe they can't have their revenge or the full revenge, but they can restore themselves. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm, I'm confused by the... Are you saying you study Spanish revenge strategies? I'm getting... Oh yeah, so Spanish revenge tragedies. It's a it's a genre of um, I think restoration um, plays. If I, I may have the time period wrong, but basically like yeah, there's there's a there's a book called the Spanish Revenge uh, Tragedy, and it's great. Like it's just a bunch of plays that are all revenge tragedies. Okay, I thought you were like sitting down and be and just like reading uh, books about revenge and being like, that's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, that's See, basically what I'm doing. <laughs> See, this is what people don't understand about English majors is that, you know, you think that you're reading books about flowery, about flowery language and, you know, like ponces and shit like that. What we're really actually reading is the dramatic and thematically appropriate way to drink the blood of our enemies. Yeah. So I just looked up again to remind myself. So for those who are interested, it's called The Spanish Tragedy. Um, It's called or or it's known as um, Geronimo is Mad Again. um, And it's fantastic. Ironically, an English playwright. There you go. Apparently, it's also like Elizabethan, so not restoration. Uh, yeah, because restoration is pre-Elizabethan, right? I'm not sure. I just remember a long time ago, I took like a restoration drama class, and it was really boring. Sorry to my teacher who may hear this. Wow. Why would they? No, they're not going to hear this. Hey, hey, Daniel's English teacher, go fuck yourself. <laughs> And that's the hate mail we receive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we went to yeah. like a seventeen-page like thesis about why you're horrible. Listen here, you little shit. <laughs> that's how it starts. <laughs> that's how it starts. Uh, look, we're creating our own revenge story right now. Okay. I've been playing a lot of uh, Shipbreaker, which I'm not sure if anyone knows what that is, but it's where you disassemble ships, go through them, and salvage them. And I find it unusually fun. I it's would... not unusual for you at all. That's like so up your alley. You like banal, weird, niche games. So that's totally you. That's not weird for you at all. Although I, I meant I find it fun and I know it's weird. Okay, that's that's okay, that's fair. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much of this plot would uh, apply to others, but there is also a book that I liked that was called Shipbreaker. And I find that a little bit ironic, but they're both about breaking apart ships and making a living off of that. Uh, One is set into the distant future, but my idea was following a salvage crew during 
essentially the first unification wars, which we were having that uh, after humanity broke apart, that the inner sphere went out and started to, I don't want to say colonize, but reincorporate a bunch of the planets. And I figured that these would be massive battles as there'd be plenty that were like fighting for their independence. And I wanted to have either a story or players be the salvage crew after these battles, picking up the machinery, the bits, uh, going through destroyed ships, maybe finding survivors that were locked into one room, uh, 20 decks down kind of thing. But also to add the element of danger, I wanted this to be uh, where also some of the Cthulhu-like monsters of space come into mind, of where there's small little things, uh, person size that eat on the debris of the relics. Ooh. I love that idea, and I also love the idea that they could possibly be harbingers of the giant space monsters that we were kind of alluding to earlier. Mm. I think that, it, it, or or at least making them kind of like the parasites on the backs of those things. Yeah, yeah, oh, like that sounds um, really cool. What was it, Cloverfield? How it would drop those little like creatures off of the giant kaiju? Yes, absolutely. Like fleas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, lo- mm-hmm. I love the I love the how it's taking another turn into um like sci-fi horror because I think that's great like exploring those lower decks to kind of get you know and you find these people who are trapped down there or you find like the whatever monsters are feeding on relics which I want to underscore that kind of cool feeding yes. on them yes 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 I also do I also want to say that I'm getting some serious Dead Space vibes here as well yeah yes yeah I want to play that is it worth playing yes just not the third one play the first two. All right. What are you the third one's only hot two. garbage. Huh? There's only two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No. Well, I was going to say one more thing about Chris's. Yeah. I was going to say one more thing about Chris's. Um, um, I, I like um, the that part of it being set kind of in, in, in the, the early, well, that this is a, a, a result of the early like wars for unification, because then you can have a lot of these salvage pilots be uh, focused on the Trappist company, which were the ones that were the furthest out because they were the ones that first like started exploring from the inner sphere. So those might be the guys who their gear isn't the best because they've been out, you know, for a long time and they're on the fringe. And so they're dealing with these bizarre threats, you know, in the remnants of the salvage. That's a great idea. There's a much more working class vibe to it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. Do love that. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, go ahead and wrap us up. Bring us home, Daniel. Bring us home. The last one I had. Um, so I, I had I had an idea for the jump missions with the horror, but we, I think you covered that in, in yours with wanting to bring in the kaiju. Um, the other alternative I had. So we've done raids. We've done... Um, uh, what's the opposite of a raid? Raids and I'll re-say it. What, what's the other one? We did raids and is it infiltration? What's the other word for it? Raiding is See, going in. Uh, like oh man, what are like I know yeah. what you're talking about. It was the one we've done the... raids, sieges, uh-huh. um, infil- heists. Heists. Okay, I'll say it again. Okay, so we've done raids. We've done heists. Um, this one's kind of in between the two, and I, it's called the jailbreak. So that's um, basically a heist, you know, like a heist, right? It's it's a heist, but instead of an object, it's a person. 
Right. So I'm thinking, but I'm thinking of it going from the inside out. So uh, if, if you have like a space prison, most likely this space prison is heavily fortified. It's also in a region of space that's difficult to get to. So maybe it's far away from, you know, a quantum filament or an old style jump, whatever they're using to get to. Um, and also if it's holding prisoners who are ex-pilots, most likely it's heavily, it's a military installation of some kind. So the, the, the reason why it would be inverse is that perhaps they can't get people in to help you break out, but they get information in. So they can get information to the prisoners and help coordinate the escape in the sense that um, they can give the prisoner or prisoners um, information that's necessary for them to like navigate the space they have to get through to get to the point where they can actually escape. But it's incumbent on the prisoner to get out himself. So perhaps um, in this set- setup, you'd have the key, the target who needs to escape, you know, a number of contacts who are also prisoners or perhaps like prison guards who have turned to the side of the, of the prisoner to help them get out. And they all have to work together. Um, I imagine, a, I imagine they've also make, they'll make alliances in the prison of other prisoners who shouldn't be able to escape, but you need their help. So you end up building this crew that has kind of unstable alliances, just like you have in a heist, just like you have in like a raid. Um, but they've got to get together and every move they make is critical on the way out. So the hope is perhaps that once they get out of the installation or far enough out, you know, then they can meet up with the auxiliary support. Or perhaps since it's a military installation, there is a relic there or there is, you know, a powerful ship that they could take over and then use against their captors. So it's it's got all the the, the tension of the raid or the heist, um, except for that the the action begins at the at the crisis point, you know, and it and breaks out from there. I'm getting major like escape from Alcatraz type vibes where it's, yeah, it's like a jailbreak movie. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what we're going for. Yeah. Jailbreak is a perfect, Mm -hmm. is a perfect, a perfect summation of what we're trying to go with when we're talking about that. You're, you're, you're the person who's trying to help you escape might also be like the mono corporation and they don't tell you why they're helping you escape. They just need you out for whatever purpose. And once you're actually out, then they're like, okay, now here's what you owe us. That kind of thing too. Oh yeah. That's, there's always some kind of like poison attached to that shit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just a different prison. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Oh man. All right. What else can we do to add to, so, so let's take that idea of a, of the prison. Let's make it unique to the setting because a jailbreak is a jailbreak is a jailbreak. Let's what's, what makes this unique to our Dawn of a thousand mechs setting? Oh, oh, I got it. Okay. Oh, part of it. Put the prison, not in space, but put it on the other side of a jump of a quantum filament jump. So you can only get to the prison during certain windows when the filament turns. So maybe you can only get to it every like three weeks because that's when the window opens to it. And it's actually like 15 galaxies away. Yes, absolutely. And then we can also have it be on like one of those frontier type worlds as well, which is why yeah. it's so rare to get there. And yeah, that's well, I really cool. write this as a short story now, man. <laughs> you got it. We got, we got to get so like it's like okay, I'm part of like I don't know the one of the factions, right? And we send like a few guys, and like okay, you, we we've got the information for the guy on the inside to get out. He's like a grizzled old pilot. We need. He's gonna get out. You've got to meet him on the other side of the window once he gets out, and then you got to help him escape through the window before he's either a destroyed by all the jailers there and b destroyed by the people on the other side of the window. So it's like this crazy ragtag mission to get in and out quickly. And not only that, but you can also kind of work with 
you know, outdated information, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. well, because we only see them so often, our information can be, you know, literally decades old, you know? Right. Yeah. If, uh, if I could add something to this to make it even more unique, what a, if you also did this as, uh, instead of, say, like a military where these people have done crimes or anything, what if this was more looked at by either the organization or... Uh, the military putting them out to pasture, as it were. I was thinking that as well. So they're relic pilots. It's like it's like Alcatraz, but all relic pilots for whatever reason. You know, it doesn't have to be that they're beyond humanity. It's just like, oh, all those bounty hunters that we were talking about previously. Yeah. Guess where all those relic pilots went? They they went to that place. Forced they retirement. To, yeah, forced retirement. Yeah. It's kind of like, so they, maybe it's not like a prison, like when they're there, it's it's almost like this tedious, boring, like virtual, half virtually rendered um, retirement home where they all have their own, they, they all believe they're on some like, you know, they're one of them's living in Maine, one of them's living in, I don't know, like the beach, right? And it's all in this facility, but the facility is on a horrific uh, like frontier world. That's why it's hard to get to. And part of the, part of the mission is convincing your target that yeah. they're not actually in Maine, oh. that it's time to go. Oh, man, that's fantastic. Oh. Yeah. So you've got to put yourself in the prison because you've got to actually spend some time with them in the virtualization to convince them of its falseness. Yes. And I would argue that it's also harder because these are all people who have essentially lost a little bit of touch with their humanity. So how yeah. you're trying to get them to come back through a, a false world and it's someone who has lost touch with the world even when they're in it. That's so true. Oh my god. Minds are fucked up from this. Yeah. Oh my god. That is that's crazy. Yeah, they kicked it up a notch. Uh, look, my we all know that my favorite part about this podcast, besides the you know fawning adoration, is the collaborative aspect of it, and I think that we're not going to do better than that. I really don't. Uh, so with that being said. That this this has been another episode of World Build with us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to go ahead and send us your really cool idea for an episode, please do so by sending it to worldbuildwithus at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can send us a direct message or an open-faced tweet at Let's World Build on the Twitters. We're not Instagram. We don't do TikTok. Uh, well, Chris does, but you know, I only- do not do TikTok. <laughs> oh i'm sorry i'm I'm mixing that up with only fans my bad <laughs> these are hard <laughs> i heard you can make a lot of money on that though oh chris yeah. does chris definitely does uh you, you should see his twerking 101 anyway <laughs> remember that we love you very much we'll see you next week and we're gonna get through it together